Well, Happy New Year's. You guys braved the storm. First true storm of the year. And you're here at church on Sunday morning. I'm going to ask you real quick. How many of you have some sort of New Year resolution? Raise your hand. A little bit more than first service. So that's good. Um, New Year, New Resolution. This is the time when millions of people around the world really re-engage in some goals and dreams. And I believe the desire to grow and improve yourself, it's good. This is coming from the heart of God. It takes humility to look at ourselves and say, hey, you know what? We haven't arrived. There's more to go. I want to improve myself. But you guys know as well as I do, as just as many people sign up for their New Year resolution as many people quit the New Year resolution. A quick search in Google, you find that uh, there's a group of people who actually dubbed January 19th as Quitter's Day. Did you guys know that? <laughs> Basically, they calculated the most likely day under three weeks for those with a New Year resolution to say, you know what, this is not working out. What? Why am I making this point? I'm not just trying to be a downer. I'm trying to make the point that changing is difficult. Changing is hard. Growing is hard. It takes a lot of energy to overcome the inertia of growth. Okay. But to me, the main reason, the main cause of why it's so hard for us to grow could be summarized in this phrase. We don't understand the cost of growing. We don't count the cost we underestimate how painful it is to grow. Now, for those who don't know, uh, before I came on staff at Livingstone's Church, I worked at the local alternative school in Crown Point, okay? What is the alternative school? If you struggle in Crown Point High School, lots of students, lots of people, um, but you still want to graduate, they sent you to the alternative school, you go to school for half a day, and you work on the computer, okay? And most students who are coming to alternative school are like, yeah, this is going to be a piece of cake, it's going to be a cakewalk to graduate. But I worked at alternative school for about 10 years. After three or four years, now I was a lead teacher by that time, and my goal is to graduate kids, right? They send me kids, I'm supposed to graduate them. I learned, after three or four years, I've learned, here's the key to help a student graduate, okay? I need to set proper expectations, okay? So before they come to school, I, set, I spend about an hour in enrollment. I sit with them, I talk with their parents, and this is my number one goal to pop their bubble. I'm there to show them this is going to be a lot harder than they think it is going to be. You know, this is not just about the alternative school. This is about any mission, any journey you endeavor to complete. If you want to successfully complete your mission, you have to count the cost. In fact, I got to a place in which, for me, the number one factor, whether you will be successful in whatever you want to embark, whether it's graduate school, medical school, or maybe start a business, or maybe start a new relationship, the number one factor that determines whether you'll be successful or not is not how smart you are or how much research you have, is how much you have counted the cost. How willing are you to endure the pain of completing this? Good leaderships, good leaders come alongside of you and they help you make the determinations. Good leadership doesn't come and promise something they cannot deliver. You ever been to the case in which the leader says, hey, you know what, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. You're going to love it. It's going to be a piece of cake. And halfway through this journey, halfway through the process, you're like, I did not sign up for this. You ever been there before? 
Good leadership help you set proper expectation. They vet you properly. They prepare you properly with the right mindset. And once you are in this journey of growth, once you are undergoing this pain of growth, leadership comes alongside of you and they, they help you in the middle of it to make sure you are successful. Let me show you a good example of good leadership. Jesus said to those who are looking to follow him, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must. Now at this point, I want to make a little point. At this point in Jesus' career, everybody and their mom wants to be his disciple. He was walking on water, calming the seas, feeding 5,000. That in itself is like, yeah, I want to be like that guy. Raising the dead, healing the sick. Who doesn't want to be Jesus' posse? Everybody does. But Jesus was setting proper expectation. He's like, oh, hold on, hold on, guys. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Talk about setting proper expectations. You know, the thing he said was so bizarre at the time. It's almost like, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to go and face the guillotine. If you want to follow me, you got to face the lecture chair or the, the firing squad. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're pushing people away. Nope. He was bursting their bubble because he is a great leader. Did you know that most of his disciples were literally crucified or killed for their faith? Now, he's inviting every single person who will follow him to figuratively lay down their life. But many of them literally lay down their life. He set proper expectation. He said, this is going to be very, 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 very hard. In fact, you'll have to die to yourself. However, you will earn so much more. You will grow so much more. You will receive so much more. That is what good leadership does. In this season of resolution and growth, for 2022, I want to open the year by helping you guys set proper expectation for growing so you can grow like never before. Today, I want to talk about why growth is so important. Why is it so important for us at Living Stones Church? Then I want to talk about why growing is so hard, the common stumbling blocks for growth. And the very end, I want to lay out for the next few weeks the paths of growth, how we leadership at Livingstone Church want to come alongside you and help you grow. But before we get to all that, I want to kind of whet your appetite for growth, okay? When people hear the word growth, they think of many, many different things, right? Some people like me hear about growth and they, they get excited. Other people hear about growth and all they can think about is someone yelling in their face and making them do push-ups, okay? We're not just talking about some type of behavioral change, even though that is important, about just losing a few pounds or maybe quit an addiction. The growth that we are after is not superficial change, but change on the deepest level. It starts with a change of your mind. And I don't know about you, but for me, in my experience, the hardest thing to change for many Christians, for most Christians I know, is changing your mind. But the Bible talks about this in Romans chapter 12. He says, Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, renewing of your mind. Furthermore, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now the word repent translated from the Greek word metaneo, 
which literally means changing of your mind or to think differently. Think differently. So here's another way to translate what Jesus said right here. Jesus is saying, I am ushering a new kingdom. I am bringing a whole entire new infrastructure, a new way of thinking, a new processes, new king, new rules, new currency, new laws. What is right will now be wrong. What is wrong will now be right. I'm ushering a completely new system. So for you to get ready to enter this new system, you have to think differently. You have to change your mind. This is the paraphrase of repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is what is at stake here in the change. You know how Jesus talked about, I've given you the keys of the kingdom? For years, I wonder, man, what is this key he's talking about? What is this authority into his kingdom that I so long for, but I don't understand? Well, over years, I've learned this key, access to this key, to this authority, comes from changing how you think. Then you can enter into the kingdom of God. This is the level of change. From changing your mind comes a change in how you look at yourself, a change in your identity. And from a change in identity comes a change in your behavior. You see what I'm saying? A lot of times we try to work on the behavior first. But I'm saying we need to work on changing our mind first. But changing our mind is not easy. So why is growth so important for us at Livingstone's Church? I want to lay out some theological basis for growth. You know, for those people who don't know, the mission statement for Livingstone's Church is growing people, multiplying leaders. Now, the mission statement embodies the summary of what we do, okay? So, for example, Chick-fil-A. What does Chick-fil-A do? They sell chicken sandwiches and they sell customer service. If you look at their mission statement, it's both. What does, say, Disney, the company Disney do? They provide entertainment through storytelling, okay? Your mission statement says something about your company, about the leaders of your company, okay? They really value entertainment and storytelling, not just entertainment, but through storytelling, all the Disney cartoon and the Pixar cartoons and all that jazz. So for us, our mission statement says that we truly value growth, We really care about growth. In fact, we feel like growth is central to the gospel. Let me explain. Let me ask you a simple question. Why did Jesus come to earth, die for our sins, go to the cross, resurrect three days later, and then ascend it to heaven? Why did he do all? What is his ultimate fulfillment? Now, how you answer that question is going to determine your view on the importance of growth. Now, many people will say this, Jesus came, the ultimate mission is to save us from our sins so we will not go to hell and can go to heaven and be with him. Now, I agree with that statement. I truly value the fact that we can avoid hell if we put our faith in him and go to heaven. But that is not the ultimate mission of Jesus Christ. Because if that's the ultimate mission of Jesus Christ, then we can sit on our hands because our our salvation's assured, the work is already done for us, there's nothing else for for us to do. And there's no place to grow, which is often the paradigm of many Christians. But that is not the whole gospel. Remember, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. In the four gospel, he used the word kingdom 109 times. Jesus talked about the kingdom before he died, after he came back to life, 
And in the New Testament, over and over again by the apostles, kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. The good news is that the kingdom of God has come and he wants to use us to usher and reveal his kingdom to the rest of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I, the, the few times I allow myself access to what's going on in the world today can often get depressed and get discouraged. I look at the junk going on in the world today, the corruption, all that stuff, and I feel powerless. I feel discouraged. What can I do? What can I do? You know, the gospel means good news. The good news is not just that you get to go to heaven and avoid hell. The good news is that when you see the world, you see the mess it is today, Jesus is inviting you to go and build kingdom infrastructure and all the junk out there to bring order, to bring his righteousness, to bring his glory so it doesn't have to be dark anymore. That is the true good news. This is an absolutely exciting way to view the gospel. And this is the gospel that Jesus Christ preached. There is so much work to be done out there. But before we do the work out there, we need to first approach the work in us. This is why we must grow. We must grow in our talents and our ability. We must grow in our character. We must grow in our ability to hear the Holy Spirit. This so that we can be equipped to reveal God's kingdom to the world. The salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just the gospel of salvation. It is the gospel of God's kingdom. That's the first reason why we care about growth. The second reason is we are called to become more like Jesus. Now, no one's going to argue with me about the statement. We're called to be more like Christ. Romans 8, 29, 29 for God knew his people in advance. He chose them to be like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, we get the whole thing, right? Paul says, follow me like I follow Christ. Remember that bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do, all that stuff? Well, suppose we all become like Jesus, more and more like Christ. Let me ask you a question. Can we ever truly be fully like Jesus in every way? We can't. Because Jesus himself is infinite. We could be growing throughout all eternity. We will never be as mature or wise or patient or as kind as Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, that's actually a good news. Because we don't have to focus on our destination anymore. We can just focus on the journey and the process. We focus not so much we have accomplished or what we have, our position, but rather we can focus that every moment Every day is a new opportunity for us to grow. Look, look at the Apostle Paul. If there's anyone who could say, you know what, I've done enough. I've grown enough. I don't need to grow anymore. I don't need more revelations. I can sail into retirement based on everything I've accomplished, everything I know. That will be Apostle Paul, right? He was flogged. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked for his faith. He's seen, he's seen third heaven. He's written tons of New Testament. He's planted tons of churches. He's done enough, right? Look what Paul said near the end of his career. He says, I have not achieved it by focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which Christ through Jesus is calling us. See, Paul understands that it doesn't matter how much you have done, how much you have accomplished, how much you have grown, you never stop growing. 
that God cares less about our position, but God cares more about your trajectory. I'm going to say it one more time. He cares less about how far you have gone today, but that today you are actually moving. Get this into your head. Trajectory, trajectory. Every day is a new invitation to grow. I want to speak to the mature Christians here, the Christians who've read the Bible a thousand times, who's known every Bible verse, who's heard every single sermon, including this one, who's been in the church your whole life. Don't ever let complacency settle in. We will never, never, ever, we should never, ever stop growing because we are called to become like the infinite Jesus Christ himself. The last reason, which is probably the most obvious reason why growth is at the center of the gospel, is the very direct command by Jesus Christ before he ascended to heaven. He commissioned us not to sit on our hands and wait for him to come and restore all things. He could have said that. Hunker down, wait for me, I'll come back, and I'll take care of all the bad guys for you. That's not what he said. Nor did he say, go and make a bunch of converts so they can go to heaven and avoid hell. Now, that's part of it, but that's not what he said. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, think about it. The reason every single one of us is here today with access to the scriptures, access to relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is because there are men and women who heard what Jesus said and said, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Because none of them did that, we would not be here today. Somebody took this commission seriously and said, I am going to submit myself to become a disciple and grow. And I'm going to go and make other disciples so they can grow. That's why we are here today. You see, we get so focused on the things we can't control, like when Jesus returns and renew all things. I look forward to it. I can't wait for it. It's going to be awesome. But I have zero control over that, right? So I'm not going to worry about that. I have full control over whether I submit myself to the discipleship process. That's not focused on what we don't have control over. That's focus on the discipleship process. And I'm going to ask you, how do we be disciple unless we change and grow and be transformed by the renewal of our mind? Amen. I am passionate about the growth process. It's taken me years and years to finally learn that this is one of my core values. I want to tell you why. It's because when I dive in, into the developmental growth process to become more like Christ, we, I see in myself and in those I disciple and others around me, I seen them experience the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that's what happens when you grow. You have to die to yourself and you're going to trust the Lord to resurrect you anew. That's what happens. You get to experience the miraculous. Also, when you experience growth, you get to trust God in ways you have never trusted him before. And in the process of growth, you get to usher in and see the kingdom of God at work in a miraculous way. I don't even understand it. It's almost like God said, you submit my, to my process, I will show you my power. That is what it means to grow. I want to make this clear. We don't focus on growth so we can have more money. But often when you focus on growing, the Lord will give you more resource because he says you are a good steward. So I want to let you resource more money so you can build the kingdom. We don't grow so we can be more effective, even though when you grow, you will become more effective. We don't grow to gain power and influence, even though 
that often happens. In fact, I wouldn't mind a few more people in power and influence who believe and trust and want to reveal the kingdom of God right now in our culture. We grow because, not because any of those things, we grow because we are called to become more like Christ. And we are called to reveal the kingdom. We have a mission and we cannot fulfill our mission unless we develop our skills, our talent, our character, and our ability. This is why growing people, multiplying leaders, is the mission of Living Stones Church. Now, I want to switch gear, and I want to talk about setting proper expectations. I want to talk about why it's so difficult for us to grow and to change. And there's a million reasons for this. You can talk about psychology, you can talk about genetics, you can talk about mindset. But the nugget that God gave me when I was diving into growth The Lord said, make this clear to my people. This is the reason why my people will not grow. He says, we don't grow because we confuse learning with growing. We confuse learning with growing. Learning is getting new information into our mind. Growing is actually taking that information and integrating it into every part of who we are. Now, our world really respects learning, okay? Our educational system is based on learning. Now, I've been in the educational system for many, many years, postgraduate. But that's what happens, right, when you take a test. You take the information that you memorize, right, and you regurgitate it on a sheet of paper, right? You keep doing that back and forth. I remember in grad school, I just keep rinse and repeat. I learn information, regurgitate it, delete, so I have room for more information, learn it, Process it, regurgitate, delete, move on. Ask me what I learned in grad school. Two years in grad school. I don't, learn, I don't remember anything. Something about G protein and immune system. I don't really remember anymore. <laughs> I learned how to think. But the information itself, I regurgitate. That's our, our world really values learning. And I'm not knocking it, okay? Getting a PhD and MD, all that stuff is important. That's all good. Learning is not bad. But our world really values learning. But I want to tell you, in the kingdom of God, it has a slightly, well, actually not a slightly, a very different system. Learning does not mean that you are grown, you have grown. Jesus himself made a strong distinction. Jesus knew that the Pharisees, of all people, have great learning, great knowledge. But this is what he said to them in Luke 11. He says, and you experts in the law. He called them experts. He acknowledged that they are experts. They have knowledge. But he said to them, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. We need to remember having all the knowledge of the world does not make you a person, necessarily make you a person who pleases God. Let me give you an example that we all can understand that I've seen over and over again in myself and many other people. We go to a conference and this conference, there's the cutting edge information we get so excited with this new knowledge. We take tons of notes. We come back from this conference. And three months later, nothing changes. So we go to another conference. We read another book. We go listen to some other guru and get such great information, knowledge, and wisdom that I never had to earn it. I just receive it. I write down all those notes, come home super excited. And three months later, I'm back to square one. Nothing changes. I keep going around that mountain. Why does this happen? I'm going to tell you why this happens. Because learning is fun. Growing is painful. Learning's easy. Growing is really, really, really hard. I love learning. 
Whenever I go to the gym, put my headphones on, push the button, access to every wisdom there is under the sun. I have access to teaching from Harvard and, and, and MIT if I want to, or the next megachurch pastor with great insight. You know, I love reading about humility, about dealing with hard, difficult conversations and conflicts. That's fun and it's easy in the comfort of the YMCA while I'm listening to my headphone. <laughs> That's fun. But when I'm demonstrating arrogance and my wife says, hey, you need to simmer down and humble yourself. That's not fun. That's painful for me to receive that. Even yesterday, while I was preparing my sermon, I was getting annoyed because the kids are too loud, and I yelled at my son, and my wife looked at me, and I know it's opportunity for me to practice growth. That's not fun. It wasn't fun for me to go repent to my son and say, hey, I screwed up. It's fun to read about uh, conflict resolution and dealing with the negative and facing people and difficult conversations. But you know, to go and face that coworker that you had resentment towards, that's not fun. That's painful. And we often don't count the costs. You see, we all know so much more than we actually do. We all know we got to lose a few pounds. But do you have an integrated system in your diet? We all know prayer works. But do you have on your checklist to get up in the morning and intercede for your nation and for your friends and for your family? We all know that my wife, I need to invest in my wife's emotional health. But is there a date night on my calendar every Thursday? Look at what James said, chapter 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks himself in the mirror. You see all the flaws, you see the wrinkles, the spots, you see the deception, you see the, the pride, you see the selfishness, you see all the things that's yucky about yourself. But after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. What a picture of us when we see our flaws, when we read the word, when we read wisdom, we're like, wow, I fall short in all these different things. You know what? I'm going to just forget about it. I'm going to ignore what I look like, ignore my flaws, and move on in my life. There is great self-delusion when we know something, but we don't believe it and actually live it out. I did a short, small, little basic calculation of how much do I really believe what I know. Okay, When I say I believe, I mean this is actually lived out in my life. And when I'm really feeling really generous about myself, I think I probably live out 5 to 10% of everything I know, 5 to 10%, which is discouraging. But at the same time, I'm just thinking, man, all I got to get to is like 15 or 20%, and I would become awesome. <laughs> I'm not even talking about like 75%, okay? I just need to get to like the 15% mark. Double, exactly. I'll be twice as awesome as I am right now. If I simply apply a little bit more of what I actually know. The reason we don't grow is because we take all our resource, all our energy on the fun part. And we don't focus on the painful part. Look, here's an example that I felt the Lord showed me. Like if you want to go water your lawn, right? You turn on the faucet, the hose, and you get the hose out and then there's no water coming out. What do you do? Well, 
Some people will go and they'll just keep cranking that faucet. I need more water, more water, more water. But if you have any sort of common sense, instead of doing that, you would just actually track your hose. And you realize there's all kind of kinks in the hose. You got to straighten that out and the water will flow, right? The limiting factor for your water is not how much water is coming in. It's that there's a problem with your hose. We all get that in our head like for a hose, for watering our, our grass. But in the process of growing and learning, we think the limiting factor is we don't get enough information. So we go and keep cranking more and more and more information. I'm telling you, that is not the limiting factor. The limiting factor is you got to check the hose. You got to get all the kinks out. You got to make sure that information is flowing to the rest of your life. I'm going to tell you what that means. That means we need to stop deluding ourselves. So my wife and I, our New Year, re- New Year resolution, we made a list of all the things, not all the things, because that will go on forever. We made a list of the top things that we know, but we don't believe in. We know, but we don't believe in. I'm going to give you my top three or four, okay? You guys can steal from my list. The first one that comes to my mind is when other people bless us, they get blessed. When other people bless us, they get blessed. Now, I know that. I would love to bless other people because I feel the blessing when I bless other people. But for some reason, when other people bless me and my wife, we feel so guilty. Can't receive it. We push it back. We say, ah. Instead of saying, hey, you know what? I Thank you. But you are opening the door for the Lord to bless you. I know it. I would never argue with you about it. But why do I feel emotionally, feel cringe when you try to bless me? Here's another one. Emotional needs particularly for my wife and my kids, are just as important as their physical or spiritual needs. Again, oh yeah, emotional needs is important. But am I really living that out? How about this one? This one we all can relate to. I need to be proactive about my health. Not just reactive, proactive. My wife keeps telling me, did you take your vitamins? Nope. Forgot again. Why? Because it's not... I. I'm not going to argue with her. I won't be like, vitamin is wrong and bad and evil. No, I'm not going to argue with her. I just don't take it. It's something I believe in, but I, don't, I mean, I, I know, but I don't truly believe in. How about this one? This one's going to hurt. Correction by the right people would bring me life. If, that, if I truly believe that, I will go find the right people and seek correction all the time. I don't because it hurts. And I like to live in delusion. Because it feels good to be deluded. Okay, this one. Getting more serious here. How about this one? God <laughs> this is serious. <laughs> God is the provider for my family. Oh, man. Not going to argue. No one's going to argue. Debate. Oh, gosh. Yes, yes, brother. And why am I so anxious about finances? Why am I so anxious about my kids? There's more and more. You got to make your own list. Make your own list and you can share with us. To begin your growth journey, this is my recommendation. Start with what you know, but you don't believe in. But there's something else you must, I must talk about today that the Lord just in the last two weeks has shown me that we must face if you truly want to grow. And that is the power of shame. I know I'm switching gear, but I feel like this is super relevant, just even in my own life. Shame is something, again, that we have a good theological understanding of it, 
but we don't truly believe that we have overcome shame through the cross. We all know that, hey, Jesus overcome guilt and shame, taken upon himself, okay? But we don't walk it out because I see shame all around me, all around me, myself included. Shame is just under the radar enough to stay under our attention, but just power enough, powerful enough to keep us from growing. Let me give you a few examples of my life, real example that just happens recently. You know, I was talking to Pastor Ron about this. You know, when you become a pastor or you get anointed or whatever, come to the position of a pastor, um, it's good. It's, it's a good thing. But do you know there's shame that come along with that too? I'll give you an example. I was telling Pastor Ron, I said, you know, talking about things that I know I don't believe in, one thing is corporate prayer, praying with other people. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a setting in which corporate prayer is excruciatingly painful. Sitting around a bunch of middle schoolers in a little room, have popcorn prayer, and everyone's awkward, no one's saying anything, and just waiting for someone to just put us out of our misery by saying amen. I mean, that's the corporate prayer I grew up with. I'm just being real. And I go to prayer meetings with my parents, and I'm just bored out of my mind. I mean, as a young kid, I'm establishing the painful experience of corporate prayer. Now, if you talk about corporate prayer, biblically, theologically, I, I could talk all day. Yeah, the Bible says we need to pray. Examples in the Bible, powerful prayers, his, historical examples. I know all that. But why is it that in my life, I don't have systematic things in place, habit of praying with other people, including my wife? Now, I pray with my wife sometimes, but again, it's not the go-to move I have. How do I grow in connecting my, my knowledge of corporate prayer to me believing in corporate prayer. The first step is I gotta acknowledge I don't believe in that. But here's the problem. Shane comes in and say, you're a pastor. How dare you not believe in this? Shane keeps us from growing because it says you are shameful because you are not there. I'm gonna give you another example. My wife is in the overflow, so I can talk about her. <laughs> she can hear me. So my wife and I went on a date. You guys can all relate to this if you're married. She and I went on a date. And um, before we went, go on this date, we have a time limit because we have a newborn. And um, go on a date, but we have to run the errand in the opposite direction first. Okay. So on the way to this date, she, she made a statement. She said, yeah, we got a newborn. We got, went from three kids to four kids. We got to be a little bit more efficient in our life. I'm like, I'm all about more efficiency. Well, I didn't realize this errand we're running is like literally opposite direction from our date. And by the time we finish our errand, like half our time is gone. So I made a statement to her. I said, hey, babe, you know what? You know, we want to be more efficient, more effective. Here's a great example of maybe there's some other ways for her to do this errand so that it doesn't take as much time or whatnot. You know, I don't mean to be mean or harsh or to break her down. I'm just being me. I'm like problem solving. I'm like, hey, this is a growing opportunity. Let's talk about it. But shame came in, and all of a sudden she got defensive. And she feels like I was ripping her. She feels like I'm, she, she could never do anything right. She messed up again. And she got defensive. I got defensive. Escalation, escalation. And we were this close from the date from hell <laughs> as we're driving to our location. I know you guys all know what I'm talking about, right? Somehow... We have enough relationship maturity to realize, wait a second, we're arguing over literally nothing, okay? We de-escalate and they're having a great time. But, but this is how I knew shame came in because my wife said, said this to me. She said, I know everything you said right now. I agree with everything you say. I know your heart is not to break me down. I know your heart is not to be rude or mean to me, but I feel the emotions 
of shame. And here's the joke on the devil, because my wife got stirred up. She went and she got a book on shame and she started reading it. And two, three days later, she came up to me and she's like, I'm getting rocked by this book. She says, there's shame in every area of my life I don't even know about. She says, we got to be so careful to not pass on shame to our kids. I'm like, I don't pass on shame to my kids. You know, we don't, we don't say shame, shame. We don't like just, you know, just like throw guilt upon them. She says, it's not about what we say. It's about how you say it. It's about what spirit are you communicating this? And that hit me so hard because I'm just like, and what other areas of shame that's in my life that I don't know this, I can't see that's keeping my wife from growing, my kids from growing, myself from growing. Because this is what shame does. Shame, the first way it traps us is it says, you know what? To acknowledge that you fall short is shameful. So don't ever tell people you need help. Don't ever pe- tell people you are falling short. The second way shame comes, it says, you will never get better anyway. So why bother? And shame as apex uses both. When you're trying to grow, when you're trying to improve, when you're trying to go to someone and say, I need help, shame just tackles you. I'm telling you, if you want to grow, you have to count the costs. You have to face pain and you have to face shame. You have to fight for your life. And to do that, you're going to need people to come alongside of you. This is why growing is so hard. Why many people just grow older and they don't grow more mature. I want to ask you this question. Are you on the path of growth? What is your trajectory? I want to challenge you, your homework assignment for this week. Go to the person who is closest to you, probably your spouse if you're married, and say, in the last month, in the month of December, in what way have I grown? Have I grown fatter? Have I grown lazier? Have I grown more complacent? Because you can grow in many, many directions. You hear what I'm saying? Or have I grown more joyful, more self-control, more patient, more like Jesus? Our mission here is to help you grow. You know, we're not perfect here at Livingstone's Church. We ourselves need to do lots of growing. We have a lot to figure out ourselves. But we know this is our call to help you grow. In the coming weeks, we're going to lay out the steps, the process, the model in which we, the leadership at Livingstone, want to come alongside and help you grow. I'm going to give you a quick spoiler alert real quickly. How did Jesus grow his disciples? Jesus took a few men, blue-collar guys, men and women, who were mostly uneducated, and he turned them into world changers. That's a cool model, isn't it? How did Jesus do it? He gave them three R's. Three R's. He first gave them, a revel- gave them revelation. He taught them. Okay? And we all get that. The Bible, Sermon on the Mount, the parables, great teaching, the revelation. The second thing, but revelation only leads to learning, right? Learning, as we said, is not enough for growth. He did something. He gave them relationships. He built intimate relationship with his disciples. And the last thing he did, he gave to all of us. He gave us responsibility. Revelation, relationship, responsibility. In this trinity, 
we find powerful, powerful growth. And we want to use this model to help you grow in 2022 like never before. And just in closing real quick, I, t- I forgot to talk about market share. You know, the Lord impressed on my heart a few, like a month ago, he, he said to me, everybody in the world is building some sort of kingdom. They are developing, they're developing themselves to build some types of kingdom. Many of this kingdom might be their own kingdom, okay? But he says, my people are not developing themselves because they don't have a vision of my kingdom. We, the people of God, the disciple of Jesus Christ, have the mandate and the call to develop our skills and our talent and our character and our relationships with God because we have the best kingdom. What you see in the world today, the conflict is not just a conflict of, of D and R's or all these different things. It's a conflict of kingdoms. Everyone is developing themselves to build their kingdom. We need to be building the kingdom of God. I've given you the keys to the kingdom. And here's the thing is we, building the kingdom is not just in the church. We're in church, what, a couple, couple hours a week? Even in ministry at church, maybe a few hours a week. But you are your workplace 40, 50, 60 hours a week. You're at home with your family hours and hours and hours a week. The kingdom of God needs to be revealed and established and built in all your time. There's no compartmentalization between the sacred and the secular. And that's what market share is going to be. The focus of market share in the 2022. We, we, we stopped it for a while to seek new revelation from the Lord. And the Lord showed this to us. Market share is not just for business owners or entrepreneurs. It's for anybody who wants to learn how to establish the kingdom of God at their workplace. You know, marriage class help you establish the kingdom of God in your marriage, in your family. Parenting class at home, right? We want to help you establish the kingdom, reveal God's kingdom in your workplace. And I couldn't think of a better person to come and share that message than Rodney James. For those who don't know Rodney's testimony, he used to be a pastor. Now, he's the builder for our new project. And the anointing he had to be a pastor is the same anointing he has right now in the workplace. In hiring people, in firing people, in in, in negotiations, in training people. It's the same anointing to usher in the infrastructure the systems and processes of God's kingdom. So we're passionate about the kingdom of God. And that's what Market Share is about. If you guys are coming to Market Share, we ask you to go to our website, lstones.org. There's a little button, register, because we want to know how much food to make sure we can prepare for. This breakfast will be served 8 o'clock this coming Saturday. That's my plug for Market Share. But hey, you guys have an awesome Sunday. I want to remind you, our mission statement, growing people, multiplying leaders. And for the rest of this month, we want to share with you how we can help you grow. Have an awesome Sunday. And if you need prayer, we'll be out front. We'd love to pray with you and share with you more.